0: Hey everyone, it's Jamie. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Murderish. This is a follow-up to episode 20, DJ Ficky Seeking Justice. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, you may want to pause here, listen to episode 20, and then come back to this follow-up episode in order for everything to make more sense. In this episode, my friend Lisa and I interview Amanda, who is DJ Ficky's sister. Amanda was generous enough to share much of DJ's case file with us so we could tell his story. As I mentioned in episode 20, Amanda is seeking justice for her brother as she strongly believes he was murdered. And from what I have learned about this case, I certainly can agree that DJ's case needs another look at the very least. In this interview with Amanda, we learn more about who DJ was, and we take a deeper dive into the evidence in this case. Before we get into the episode, I want to thank the newest Murderish Patreon supporters and announce the winners of the Name That Podcast contest. I want to send a huge thank you to Kelly Fortier, Keen Beck, and Maria Fojo for supporting the show through Patreon. Your support means so much. I'm so happy to have you all in my corner. I've got some Murderish swag headed your way soon. Recently, I released a bonus episode called Name That Podcast for a contest that I ran for two weeks. Listeners had a chance to hear from various podcast hosts on the episode, and I asked all of you to guess who the podcasters were just by hearing their voices. The contest is officially over, and I'm ready to announce the winners and reveal the names of the podcasts who participated. The winners of the Name That Podcast contest are… Tanya Todd, and Amy Davidson. Thank you so much for participating, ladies. I'll be reaching out to you shortly to get some cool podcast swag headed your way, including a full deck of pod cards and a t-shirt. Now, it's time to reveal the mysterious voices you all heard on the Name That Podcast bonus episode. Here they are in order. Number one, Morph from Criminology, The Murder in My Family, and Crime Sphere. Number two, Nick and Jessa getting off. Number three, Jessica from Asian Madness. Number four, Heather from Nature vs. Narcissism and Status Pending. Number five, Justin from Generation Y and Peripheral. Number six, War Baby from Murderous Minors. Number seven, Nikki from Strictly Homicide. Number eight, Rosie and Ryan from Voice of the Victim. Number nine, Kevin from Mirths and Monsters. Number 10, Kate from Ignorance Was Bliss and We Too. Number 11, Sinead from Men's Raya. Number 12, Barney and Tara from Bloody Murder. Number 13, Olivia from Something's Not Right. Number 14, Jeremy from Podcasts We Listen To. Number 15, Mina from True Crime Finland. Number 16, Cambo from True Crime Island. And number 17, Dina from Twisted Philly. Thank you to all of my pod friends who participated in this contest. You guys are truly the best and ishers. I hope you'll take a minute to hit the subscribe button on all of these podcasts because they're all great listens. One last thing before we get into the show, I want to remind everyone that I'm now co-hosting another true crime podcast with my buddy Morph. If you haven't checked it out yet, it's called Crime Sphere. The show is a one-stop shop for listeners to get all the latest true crime news, views, and interviews. I hope you'll subscribe to Crime Sphere, leave us a positive rating and review, and follow the podcast on social media. Find us on Twitter at Crimesphere, on Facebook by searching Crime Sphere Discussion Group, and on Instagram at Crimesphere Podcast. All right, you guys, let's get into the show. Hey, Amanda, thanks so much for taking my call. I've, I've really been looking forward to talking to you for a while now.
1: Thank you for covering DJ's case.
0: Yeah, I'm so, I'm honestly so glad. It's my honor, first of all, and I'm so glad that you reached out. And I uh, will obviously get into this, but I'm. Um, Shocked to say the least, you know, after what I've read. But I also wanted to introduce you to my good friend, Lisa, and she's the host of I uh, for I I for an I podcast and she's really helping me dive into DJ's case and she's really helping me go through all the documents that you provided. So thanks so much for doing that and just wanted to introduce you to Lisa before we get started.
2: Hi, Amanda. You? Thank you so much for letting us cover this story. Like Jamie said, it's shocking to say the least and it It's one of the ones that really makes you question the justice system and how it works and what goes on really behind the scenes of some of these cases, because it's outrageous what's happening to you and your family. And I hope we can, you know, get the case out there and get more visibility so they do, you know, reopen the case and make sure that the
1: proper investigation is taking place. I appreciate that. And it's nice to meet you as well.
0: So, Amanda, I just, you know, I think it's important to really understand uh, who DJ was, and I'm sure nobody knows him better than than you did. And so I'd love to ask you some questions, just kind of some background. What was yours and DJ's upbringing like? Uh, where did you grow up and what was family life like?
1: Family was great. We were really a tight, close family. We did everything together. I mean, if it was, you know, get together just for any reason whatsoever, you know, the family was there. Mom would cook a big dinner. We'd all just hang out and goof off and whatever. You know, we're a really tight family. We'd go on vacations together as a family. We would go, you know, just on ro- little road trips. Um, we had a really good upbringing. My dad died about 16 years ago. D.J. was 14 years old. He was, D.J. was the only boy out of three girls. He was with me. He was the middle child. So me and him were the closest of all four of us. He was just a comedian. Everything was always a game, a joke. No, mo- you know, he was always wanting to pick at people. He had this thing where he would just go up to. We would go to Walmart or to a store, and he would walk up to somebody and say, "Hey, you dropped your pocket." And they would literally <laughs> fall for it. They'd look on the floor like they dropped their pocket, and then they would realize, "Duh, I can't drop my pocket." You know, but they would laugh. They would laugh. He's the only one that could do that jokes like that to random people, and they would laugh it off. If any of us would try that, we'd probably get knocked out. But it was (laughs) just his personality.
0: He could just pull it off, it sounds like.
1: Yeah, he could just pull it off, and nobody would get upset with him or mad. They would just laugh it off, you know. He was was like that constantly. Just April Fool's was the worst.
0: (laughs) I can imagine. I mean, as soon as
1: we hit the floor, we knew DJ was going to be trying to get us all day, you know, the whole day, something. Even if it was just stupid things that you could never fall for, he would do it just to be doing it.
0: Oh, I love it. So he was just born a born comedian. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, you know, obviously you said that, that your father died when uh, DJ was a teenager. How impactful was that on him?
1: At the time, being 14, it was pretty impactful on him. DJ had actually my dad was a Vietnam veteran and had a rough life growing up, you know, when he was older after the war, of course, he had post-traumatic stress disorder and nightmares and flashbacks. And so my dad had a hard life, you know, after the war. But out of all the people in the world that you would never imagine getting in church and getting saved and baptized, my brother got my dad in church and got him saved and baptized. So DJ took it hard when he died, but at the same time he he understood that my dad was better off because he had cancer and he he just wilted away. I mean, it was mm-hmm. bad. And so it was kinda like it impacted all of us. I mean, we understood what happened and why it happened, but of course we still miss him and we questioned it, you know, why did you have to take our father away? So right. DJ felt the same way, him being younger, I would say it impacted him more because he was the only bully, you know, daddy's boy, you know. Right. And so it, it, it did bother him, but he he learned to cope with it as he got older.
0: And would you say, so, you know, obviously, you know, it was, it was well known that DJ, you know, unfortunately did get into drugs at some point in his life. W- would you say that this kind of how do I say helped kind of lead him down that path? Or was he already struggling with, with drug addiction um, when your father passed?
1: No, he wasn't struggling with drug addiction. When my father passed, I would say that that may have had an impact as far as the people he was starting to hang around with. Sure. Because of course he didn't have his father there to give him the structure, you know, and everything that he needed from his dad. Um, Mm -hmm. DJ started smoking marijuana when he was about 15 or 16. Uh, DJ didn't get into the hard drugs until much later,
0: so it was just kind of you know uh, marijuana as a starter drug, which is very very common, and then it just kind of le- escalates from there, and you know leads to other things. And and I by no means can judge. I mean, I have you know I think we all have several family members and friends who have struggled with drug addiction or alcoholism, and it's unfortunate. And and then you know like you were saying, it all it takes is really just to get in with the wrong crowd. And especially at the age that DJ was, when he began using drugs, it's a very critical age, 14, 15 years old, you know, 16 years old is a very critical age. And, um, you know, it's very easy for teenagers to fall into just kind of doing what, what the other kids are doing. Exactly. Yeah. And so DJ and Brandy, they had a relationship and, and had children together. How did DJ and Brandy meet? And what was their relationship like?
1: dj and brandy uh brandy actually went to school with dj
0: i believe she would, may have been in a,
1: a grade one or two grades earlier than dj i'm not sure exactly but they knew each other from school of course after school you know they got out of school and everything but i don't believe they were really good friends in school from what i know they wasn't they were like acquaintances they knew each other but they wasn't anything there, maybe just a, hi, how are you doing when they see each other in the hall or something. They may have even run into each other at a friend's house here or there. But after school, a few years down the road, DJ and Brandy had crossed paths again. And they started, I wouldn't say they, and well, I guess, I guess I would say they was dating. They wasn't a serious relationship, but they were together. And an unplanned pregnancy came from that, and that would have been Jackie would have been born in March of 2014. After Jack was born, DJ and Brandy decided to be together. Together, seriously, and so they moved in together. A few months after Jack was born, they decided to get married. So they had actually gotten married in August of two thousand and fourteen. When they first got together, their relationship was really good. They were happy. They were on I mean, DJ was on Cloud Nine when they got married. The day he was got married, I had pictures of them the day they got married. He was on cloud they were all of them. They were just as happy as they could be. Things started getting bad, I would say of course they had their arguments and their, you know, disagreements, any couple does. But Brandy had a uh, drug problem and struggled with drugs before dj even got with her and of course dj you know had somewhat of a drug problem he didn't have a hardcore drug problem his hardcore drug problem didn't come around until him and brady got together but after october of 2014 it was just a few months after they had got married you could tell that they just started arguing more and more and more and every time that they would start arguing Brandy would want to leave and she would leave, and DJ would chase right behind her. They would do that every couple of weeks,
0: and that just kind of became a pattern with them. You can see how that relationship could become very stressful very quick. I mean, first of all, they're very young parents, they had a child that you know it wasn't necessarily planned, so they're thrust into you know parenthood, and then obviously, if both of them are. Using drugs, I'm sure that has an impact as well. And I, I can see how it would be a very, you know, tense and, and stressful situation for the two of them. You know, obviously they were in a relationship, Randy and DJ. And then there is a man by the name of Mike, which is not his real name, but we will call him Mike for purposes of this conversation. So tell me a little bit about that as far as what was the dynamic between Mike and DJ uh, before, you know, things escalated to what happened?
1: Okay, working up to that, DJ was friends with old man, as everyone calls him, who lives in Georgia. And before he even met Brandy, DJ was friends with this old man. And DJ would stay there and help this old man out with his wife. She was sick and disabled and everything, so my brother felt bad for him and helped him out with his wife to help him take care of his wife. He was raising his grandchildren, so... My brother just had a good heart. You know, he wanted to help anybody he could, however he could. So after DJ and Brandy had gotten together, of course, when DJ would go down there, he would take Brandy with him. And all of a sudden, here's this Mike guy living in a camper outside of Old Man's home. Old Man's home is a well-known drug house. There's constantly traffic in and out of there At any given time, there's anywhere from 5 to to 10 different people living or staying there. I mean, everybody in, this, in the area knows what this place is. So DJ introduced Brandy to him. you know, when he would take her down there. She got to know everybody, and she started befriending everyone there and everything. And Brandy had uh, gotten pregnant with the twins and at the end of 2014. They were born June of 2015. After the twins were born, about three or four months after they were born, DJ and Brandy were doing really bad. They were arguing a lot. Uh, The drug problem was escalating really bad. And my mom actually had to step in and get custody of the kids, all three of the babies. Once the custody, my mom got custody of the kids. Of course, Brandy took back off again. She went to Old Man's. While they were staying there at Old Man's, Brandy ended up leaving DJ and being with Mike. And there was a sexual relationship there going on. Mike was obsessed with Brandy. He was crazy about Brandy. He was in love with Brandy. He was just obsessed with Brandy. He didn't want Brandy and DJ speaking to one another. And like I said, you know, they would go down there and stay with old man for a few weeks. DJ would win her over and they would come back home. They would be home for a couple of weeks. An argument would pursue. She would take off back to old man. DJ would go after her a couple of weeks. You know, I mean, it was a routine. It was, this went on for over a year. I mean, it was so predictable. You could, this is how it played out. Brandy's gone. Well, DJ's right behind her. Well, he'll be back in a couple of weeks. And I mean, we could predict it. We knew how it was going to play out. It it happened for so long. It went on for so long. We knew exactly what was going to happen. You know, he was going to be back. She would be back with him. He would be here. They would be here a few weeks. They would leave again. It was just really predictable.
0: So, is it correct in saying that Brandy Brandy would kind of bounce back and forth in somewhat of a relationship with Mike one day and then DJ the next?
1: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, like I said, she would be with DJ for a few weeks or months. Then she would be with Mike for a couple of days to a week. Then she'd be back with DJ for a month or so. And I mean, it it was back and forth.
0: Got it. So, so like you've mentioned before, I mean, it really was somewhat of a, of a love triangle for lack of a better term. And you can see how that, you know, both men having feelings for Brandy, anger could start brewing and tension between the two men could start brewing and they're going to be angry at each other because both of them want Brandy. And uh, I mean, is that accurate to say? I mean, that kind of led to a lot of tension between the two guys.
1: Yes, there was. I mean, I'm sure there was a lot of tension there. I mean, when DJ would be here, when Brandy was there, he would talk about Mike, about how much he hated him, how much he wished he would just leave Brandy alone, how Brandy would just leave him alone, how she would just stop. We would always try to give DJ advice and tell him, you know, someone's all going to end up getting hurt. This is not a good situation. Find somebody else. Move on, you know. And he would always say he loved her. That's his wife. That's the mom of his kids. And that he would love her till the day he died.
2: For brandy's role and everything did she ever mention her feelings towards mike was it a genuine she did genuinely like him or was it one of those like you guys have been saying you know a, a triangle it was kind of she liked the attention he gave her or when you know things were hard with dj it just made it easier to you know go get an escape or did it seem like she genuinely had feelings for him and and was really caught between a rock and a hard place
1: i don't know i mean as coming from a woman's perspective I don't think she loved him, loved him, like, you know, really, really loved him. I think, like, yeah, I believe it was an escape, to mm. that when she got away, that she didn't have anybody. She has, her family has not really ever been there for her, and they have a whole nother past that would be a whole nother story. But her family's never been there for her. And she didn't, she couldn't rely on them. She couldn't depend on them. The only people she had was DJ. And if she didn't have DJ, she went.
0: I think that makes a lot of sense, especially somebody who sounds like she was pretty vulnerable, Brandy, um, and not really any kind of support system family wise, you know, nobody wants to be alone. And so it sounds like it was just very convenient and very easy for her to run to Mike. And she knew she could because she knew, I mean, she's Probably a smart girl and she knew that this guy was obsessed with her and he would do anything for her. So she knew she could kind of keep running. It sounds like I I'm, I'm this is just my yeah, opinion. Yeah,
1: but. basically that's what it was. I mean, she you know, she knew he had feelings for her and she knew that if her and DJ wasn't together or working out at the time or they were having an argument or she just wanted to get away from DJ, then she could go to Mike, you know. And i right. um, also Mike kinda made it I don't know how to word it, but Mike kept her in supply of drugs. Got it. So it was kind of like, I don't know. I don't honestly know if that would be what the reason was, that she would start the argument with DJ so she could leave to go get the drug. Or, Mm -hmm. I I mean, I don't know. But I do know that Mike kept her in supply of drugs at all times.
0: Well, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's just one more reason for her to go to Mike. Like you said, it's an interesting thought that... Maybe she was creating uh, arguments, you know, with d j so she would have a reason to go to Mike and get the drugs. You just never know when somebody's under the pull of a drug addiction, it you know, obviously their their behavior is irrational and their thoughts are different than somebody who's not on drugs, and they'll do things like that possibly you know, to get right. the drugs. Now you
1: could and and you could definitely I think that's why it was so predictable and like clockwork, you could definitely tell that. Withdrawal had a lot to do with the arguments and the leaving.
0: Right. And that makes perfect sense. Like you said, it's a cycle. You do the drugs, you come down, you need them again so you don't get sick. Right. So, the dynamic between d j Brandy and Mike is is pretty interesting obviously i I totally understand you know the two men being at odds with each other, given that they were in sort of a love triangle with Brandy. But I think I had read somewhere in the reports that there were also times when the three of them actually slept in the same room. Is that correct, and is that just a a circumstance of that's really the only room that was available, so that's where they slept, and that was really it.
1: Yes, basically, what that was was d j and Brandy would argue so much while they were there that the old man would tell them that, you know, they would have to sleep out in the camper. Mm -hmm. There was times that they slept in the trailer, but sometimes on occasion they would sleep in the camper. And it all boiled down to DJ did not want to leave her because it's not like DJ didn't have somewhere to go. DJ always had somewhere to go. Now, when he was with Brandy, I will say that's not the case because everybody was tired of their arguing and their speakering back and forth and it it was harder to handle both of them than it was one if that makes sense dj had a drug problem but i always say he had more of a wife problem than a drug problem because dj could go like when brandy would be in jail or something dj could go months and months and not use any drug at all so i just don't feel like someone that had a major drug problem could do that
0: yeah, I don't think so either. And also, you know, as far as the three of them sleeping in the same camp camper, however many times that happened, it makes perfect sense, Amanda, that he DJ obviously is not wanting to sleep in a camper with a guy that he doesn't like. But at the same time, no. he loved Brandy and he didn't want to leave her. So rather than leave her there, you know, without him, he'd rather put himself into an uncomfortable situation.
1: Exactly. I mean, and I can get that. I could understand that.
0: Yeah, I can too. I can too. It sounds like he was very protective uh, over her.
1: Oh, he was. He was. He. I mean, he. You could go on his Facebook and even see where he. He would state, you know, he had her back no matter what. Even when they wasn't together, he he posted several times that that was his wife, that was the mother of his kids, that he had her back no matter what. That if anybody hurt her, did anything he to her, that they would have to answer to him. I mean, he was he was protective of everyone. Him being the only boy, he was protective of his sister, you know, even though he was very loyal to Brandy. I mean, when she would leave him, I, will, I mean, DJ would try to find someone else and try to move on. But he always came back to Brandy.
0: Hmm. Yeah, sounds like he had a very deep, deep love for her, no matter what the circumstances were. Did.
2: was that frustrating for you amanda watching you know of course your your brother is you know following this this you know the mother of his children now which makes perfect sense because of course you know he wanted to keep his family together um but did that frustrate you guys because you saw this you know go back and forth and you knew how it was going to play out because like you said it was so predictable did that frustrate you guys and did you you know did you try to kind of say you know this isn't right for you maybe there's a different resolution or were you just kind of like he's going to do what he's going to do this is his family this is what he cares about type of thing
1: no we always I know myself I know my mom you know gave him tried to give him advice about she wasn't worth it you know move on find somebody else get your life together you know and me me and my brother talked a lot I Mandy they talked a lot with like I said us being the two middle children we were the closest And after my dad died, DJ had actually stayed with me a lot after my dad died and as he was growing up. So we were really close, and I I was always, you know, talking to him and giving him advice because I was really the only one he would listen to. And I I constantly was telling him, you know, DJ, if she loved you, she wouldn't be doing this to you. You deserve better. Your life's never going to get any better as long as she keeps dragging you down. I mean I, we were constantly telling him, you know, leave her alone. And he just he would always say he loved her. And so yeah, it was very, very frustrating, very frustrating. And me and Brandy have had our words in the past when DJ was alive and since DJ was got killed, we we've had our words. <laughs> but when DJ and Brandy were together and they were, you know, We welcomed Brandy into our home, into our family with open arms. We treated her as just another part of the family. She wasn't a sister-in-law or a daughter-in-law. She was our sister. You know, she was my mom's daughter. We treated her like any part of the family, you know, any other member of the family.
0: And I'm sure, you know, the fact that they had children together, which, you know, those are your nieces and nephews, you know, you, you that automatically forms a bond between two people, no matter whether you agree with how Brandy's living her lifestyle or, or what her influence is or is not, you know, on your brother, it, it, children tend to bond people and you want to make the relationships work because you all love the children and for the sake of the children.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, me and Brandy hung out a lot at my house. And so me and Brandy, you know, we talked and we hung out and did girly things together, you know, because that's what sisters do. And I tried to, show her that she was a part of the family and everything. But, yeah, there's there's some hurt and everything there now. I still speak to her, but there's some definitely some hurt there. None of us can't help but to not really blame her, but we feel like she is the cause of this. Right. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, and I, I think that makes sense to feel that way, regardless of, you know, the outcome or what happened. Um, It would make sense. I mean, she was also... There, you know, it would make sense to have questions and be frustrated. I was curious, what are her thoughts on the, you know, the efforts to get the case reopened and reexamined on on her end? Because I know, of course, she's a big part of the story. She's a big part of the incident itself because she was there. But I was curious, what do you know what she thinks about? You know, your your efforts to get this re-examined and re-looked at, or does she kind of want it uh, to go away, does it seem, or is she ready and willing no. to, you know, help out?
1: She does not want it to go away. I talk to her weekly, and she, you know, she calls to check in to see what the status is on it, what's going on on the case. You know, she scored me 110%. During the investigation, every interview she had, she actually would ask the detectives, why hasn't he been arrested yet? So, I mean, wow! she doesn't want it to go away. She wholeheartedly says what she's seen and what happened, and she wants something done about it just as well as what the rest of it.
2: It's amazing to know that, you know, she's on your side. It is, it's is—it's insane to me that detectives and police and no one takes that as more than it is because she was there. Right. She's seen it
1: firsthand.
0: She did, and wow. as soon as it was safe for her to do so, She told authorities, I mean, that's, I think that's what I read is she, she, as soon as it was safe and she didn't feel like she was intimidated by Mike, she told authorities what really happened, right? Or she spoke up to somebody.
1: Yes. DJ was killed on October the 3rd and the day he was shot when my husband took my mom up to the crime scene where it happened, Brandy actually jumped in the SUV with my husband and mom wanting to leave then. And of course, not knowing what happened and you know, everything we, we kind of we knew what happened, but we didn't know her role in it at the time. My husband told her, you're not going with us. So she didn't have any choice but to stay there. And she had to stay there that night. She didn't have any access to a phone or anything. So the next day, her aunt actually had heard about it and tried to get in touch with her and couldn't. So she just showed up there at the old man's place and Brandy left with her. Well, when Brandy <laughs> Brandy got in the car, she spilt everything. She told her aunt exactly what happened, and her aunt called and told my mom.
0: Right. I mean, she couldn't wait to tell the truth. I mean, but obviously you can understand somebody in her position seeing what she saw. I mean, she's going to be scared to death to say anything in front of Mike.
1: Of course. And not just that. When they questioned her on the scene, when the detective questioned her on the scene, He questioned her with one of the other witnesses sitting right next to her. In the investigation report, he states that she was consoling Brandy, but later on in the investigation, he would find out that that would actually be one of the witnesses that was at the scene when it happened. So he should not have done that. He should have questioned her by herself with no one around. And I believe that if that had been done, she may have tried to tell him what happened, But she was so hysterical, I don't know if they could have understood her, even if
0: she did. Yeah, I mean, you can hear her, you know, clearly wailing, you know, and and crying uh, and just, I mean, just, you know, freaking out on the other end of the 911 calls. So she was definitely not in her right state of mind. But you can totally understand, too, that anywhere near Mike and also where the incident happened, you can understand her not wanting to come clean with with what really happened because she's protecting herself in that moment um, but you get her in a safe right. place and away from the scene of the crime uh, then you know that that's when she opened up and it was you know almost immediate
1: yes it was as soon as she I mean as soon as they pulled out of the driveway she was telling her aunt what happened
0: right and I think that says a lot
1: that's something I regret every day that my husband didn't let her leave with them I mean I tell him weekly at least, I wish you would have let her come home with y'all. I mean, I understand why they didn't, but I just say to myself and to him, I wish y'all would have let her left, you know, came home with y'all that day. I said, because she would have told y'all as soon as y'all left what happened.
0: And you feel like overall this invest, we would not be sitting here today doing this interview.
1: I don't believe we would. I have feelings. I wonder because they jumped the gun so soon on the investigation. I wonder if it would have been handled differently. I feel like if she had left that day and told them what happened as soon as she left, then they could have called the detectives and they could have went back to the crime scene and everything would have been played out differently. But it's one of those what ifs or, you know, it's a would ifs. you know, you never know. You don't know.
0: Right. We'll never know because that's just not how it played out.
1: Right. I feel like it would have been handled differently, but I right. don't know. I think in Emma's case, you know, the way it was handled
2: was just absurd. And and the fact that anyone was able to stay the night over effectively at a crime scene, regardless of what they the police believed happened, um, if there was any even thought to the contrary, and I know when I was reading a timeline of events, your mom mentioned instantly to the police, you know, hey, this definitely was not you know, DJ didn't do this to himself. And I have no idea why they wouldn't at least take that information and get people off of the scene. Because so that, that's the part that's infuriating to me It's because it's not like a couple weeks later, you guys brought up the, the theory that it could have been somebody else who, you know, shot DJ. But the fact that you brought it up on the scene, your mom brought it up on the scene, you know, the day of. And they didn't on the it way
1: too. to the scene. She actually it's- brought it up on the way to the scene. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and so it's like it, it, the fact that those that group of people was allowed to stay there is, is mind-blowing because not only, you know, for Brandy is that possible witness intimidation, leaving her with the people that could have possibly been responsible um, or knew who was, but to also not have to clear the
1: scene, that's absurd. It's I believe it's because the coroner made up his mind as soon as he got there Because of the simple fact of the information he sent to the GBI along with DJ's body. Mm -hmm. He sent DJ to the GBI with the information that it was a self-inflicted gunshot wound, that they removed the gun out of DJ's hand. The first officer removed the gun out of DJ's hand, and that there was a witness that seen him shoot himself.
0: Okay, so you just said that the coroner said in his documents that they removed the gun from D.J.'s hand. But that's not true. When they got there on scene, it was totally in a separate area from where D.J. was shot. It was not in his hands, right?
1: Exactly, exactly. But that is the documentation to the GBI from the coroner that it was removed out of his hand by the first officer. Wow. Did the officer ever...
2: State that? like where where does the, the, the officer
1: department... no he states that when he arrived on scene that he was met at his car by Mike and Brandy that Mike had a spent shotgun shell in his hand and gave it to him and he asked him asked Mike where the gun was Mike told him the gun was on a shelf next to DJ's body that 911 had told him to move the gun the officer then states that he went inside. He got the gun off the shelf and placed it on the table on the
0: porch. Ishers, have you tried Poshmark? Poshmark is the number one place to buy and sell fashion. Why buy brand new when you can shop millions of closets across America and save money doing it? Did I mention you can sell your closet on Poshmark too? Buying and selling is so easy. Just download the free Poshmark app and start browsing women's, men's, and children's clothes and accessories. You'll find all of the top brands in the Poshmark app. I recently scored a pair of Lululemon leggings for only $45. I also sold a Banana Republic handbag, and Poshmark made the transaction so easy. Shipping is super fast for buyers and sellers. Ishers, put your wine glass down, hit the pause button on making a murderer, and download the Poshmark app now. With the deals I've found on Poshmark, I no longer have to hide shopping bags from my husband. Talk about a game changer. And of course, I have a special deal just for you guys. When you sign up for Poshmark, enter the invite code MURDERISH for $5 off your first purchase. Start buying and selling like a boss with Poshmark. And don't forget to use the invite code MURDERISH during sign-up. Is there something bothering you and getting in the way of your happiness? If so, you're not alone. I've got a convenient and affordable solution for you. BetterHelp Online Counseling offers licensed counselors who are specialized to help you deal with issues such as depression, anxiety, relationships, anger, grief, self-esteem, LGBTQ matters, and more. It can be intimidating and inconvenient to see a counselor in person. And that's where BetterHelp comes in. You can connect with your licensed counselor in a safe and private environment, and everything you share is confidential. Connect with your counselor via secure video or phone sessions. You can even text your therapist. If you're not happy with your counselor, you can choose a new one at any time at no charge. Ishers, I've got a special offer just for you. Get 10% off your first month of BetterHelp with discount code MURDERISH. Head over to BetterHelp.com slash MURDERISH And fill out the questionnaire so BetterHelp can match you with the right counselor. BetterHelp is an affordable option to get you the counseling you need on your own time, at your own pace, and in your own environment. Financial aid is available to those who qualify. And don't forget to use discount code MURDERISH at betterhelp.com slash murderish. So correct me if I'm wrong, Amanda. I mean, can't we clearly prove the coroner's writings wrong by playing the 911 tape? Clearly on the 911 tape, you hear the 911 operator giving instructions to Mike to take the gun away and put it in a different area, which he did. And, yeah. and then it's further proof. So it's just shocking to me that the coroner can write that down, but we're just going to take it as fact when we have clear evidence that that is not the case.
1: Right. That's the problem. I mean, it's well, it's documented several times that the gun was not in DJ's hand. The gun was nowhere near DJ, but that is the information he sent to GBI with DJ's body. And also when my mom contacted them on the way to the crime scene and told them that she had messages from DJ, you know, where he was fearing for his life, that this was not a suicide the coroner actually stated to her that they knew it was a suicide because they had a witness that seen it being wow. Mike.
0: Wow.
2: Can you imagine if that's how investigations normally went? They just because a witness said something up and that's the end all be all. It's so frustrating wow. as an outsider listening to this, this case play out. I can't even imagine how you
1: feel. I'm very frustrated and angry and it's very hard to swallow every day.
0: Oh, I can't, I can't even imagine walking in your shoes.
1: And, and I'm so
2: sorry you have to, you have to deal with this, you know, and and it's hard enough, you know, that you lost your brother in, in this senseless act, but the fact that you have to fight for justice because no one's listening to the facts of the case.
0: Yeah,
1: it's, it's a struggle.
2: That's for sure.
0: Well, I mean, and Lisa and I have our own theories as to why we believe this is not a suicide. I mean, I think it's very clear that it was not uh, Amanda what are the primary factors in DJ's death that make you believe that this was murder and not suicide
1: The main thing is the messages the text messages between my mom and my brother 3 minutes before 911 was called is mm-hmm. the main thing then the fact of the trajectory and angle of the shot and then I didn't know until after he was killed the things that had led up to this there was several Altercations between DJ and Mike that I was not aware about until after the fact, and that just makes me believe it even more.
2: Mm.
1: I know with one hundred percent certainty that it was not a suicide.
0: I think yeah. I can safely agree with you on that one. I mean, it seems next to impossible. I mean, I understand that, and I'm no gun expert. I mean, I'm far from it, but I understand this was a sawed-off shotgun, so it's not a small gun. It may not be the longest gun. In the world, but I don't understand. First of all, like you said, um, where he was shot, he would have had to do it with his left hand, but he was right-handed. Is that right? Yes. That number one and the number two. This is not a small gun, so I don't know if they've actually measured, you know, the arm length versus the length of the gun. That seems like a very awkward. Uh, it just seems next to impossible for somebody to kill themselves with that type of gun. Number one. Number two, a right-handed person doing it with their left hand. That would not be be your instinct. If you're wanting to shoot yourself, you're going to grab it with your strong hand, I would imagine, and do it that way. You're not going to grab it with your weak hand.
1: I would imagine you would want to be in a comfortable position if you were going to end your life. And, you know, typically,
2: and, I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm no expert on death by suicide either, but typically you don't want an audience. You know what I mean? You don't want people who can right. stop you. If you're really... Wanting and willing to end your life, you don't you don't want to be around a, a bunch of people. And there were people in the building with him and in the room with him, um more than one. And and that's that's also a factor that I thought was
1: curious. Yes, there was a total, including DJ. There was a total of seven people inside the home,
3: and wow. DJ
1: was sitting on a DJ was sitting on a love seat when he was shot. Uh, not even. I mean probably two foot away from the front door. Hmm. So it wasn't like he was in a back room somewhere, you know, by himself. It was right in the center of the home, right inside the front door.
0: And a witness who was there, or actually I think more than one witness, is saying and still sticking to this story to this day that they saw the gun, they saw Mike come out with the gun and confront DJ. Is that right? Yes.
1: Both witnesses say that DJ was sitting on the couch, texting, that Mike walked out of the bedroom behind DJ's left shoulder, called him a motherfucker. DJ turned and looked up, threw his arm up, and Mike shot him.
0: Yeah, it's shocking. And and so also something that I found very interesting, um, separate from from that incident, and correct me if I'm wrong, but... Brandy's 16, uh, 16-year-old brother was killed under very similar circumstances. Uh, do you know what happened yes. and where does that case stand today?
1: That case is going to, tr- it may have already started, I'm not sure, I don't believe it has, but that case is going to trial. It happened under the exact circumstances. The Was it the same players?
2: Was it like the same? No. No no, no, okay, no, so just the same kind of circumstance this
1: this one was actually just a tragic accident this her brother being shot and killed was a, literally a tragic accident of stupidity. Brandy's brother was hanging out with friends, they were smoking weed and they were drinking, and he was sixteen years old. His best friend was playing around with a pistol, and he had taken the Taking the uh, clip out of the pistol and was he had shot it off into the ground, and you know to see that it was there was no bullet in the chamber. Mm -hmm. Uh, A couple, uh, a little while later, he pointed it at somebody and pulled the trigger, and you know nothing happened because he took the clip out and shot it off into the ground, so there was probably nothing in it. And then the next thing you know, he points it at Brandy's little brother, pulls the trigger and shot him right between the eyes.
0: Oh, my God. Wow,
1: It was literally called in as a suicide, and the next day they had his best friend arrested and charged with murder. Wow. And this is in the same town? This is the same county, yes. Wow. Uh, Of course, I emailed the detective and gave my feelings towards it, (laughs) but of course, it being an open investigation, they couldn't discuss anything.
0: Well, and, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but um Brandy's little brother's best friend who shot him, he would have been well aware of the circumstances of DJ's death and well aware of the fact that it was originally called in as a suicide. So maybe he was trying to do the same thing because he saw Mike supposedly get off for killing DJ by calling it in as a suicide and maybe he was trying to do the same thing, or am I am I totally off base?
1: I'm not sure. I have not even thought of that. I'm thinking that the investigation with DJ was still under investigation when this happened. So I don't mm-hmm. know if he, I know he if it was still under investigation, I don't know if he knew all the facts of the case, mm-hmm. but um, I know that he would have knew Mike had called it in as a suicide and it wasn't.
0: Got it. Going back to DJ, I, I thought it was pretty shocking and still find it shocking that the, so the medical examiner basically refuses to discuss DJ's auto- autopsy with you, right?
1: Um, I tried calling several times within the first couple of weeks to talk to them, and no one would speak to me. No one. I could not get through. I would talk, I guess it was the secretary receptionist, whoever answers the phone. Anytime I would call to talk to them they would, and ask them questions, they would tell me that they they couldn't talk to me, that I needed to go through the detectives or the coroner.
0: Okay, so you're just kind of giving the runaround. but w- why do you think that the ME not willing to discuss this with you? Why do you think that this investigation has just come to a halt and nobody's wanting to pick it back up, even though they've got some very compelling evidence to show that it very likely could have been murder? Why do you think that they're not well, doing now, anything? Well, now,
1: after the investigation had been closed and I got all of the files and, and reports and everything and... All of my suspicions were correct of how it was handled and what happened. Um, and I hired my private investigator. <clears throat> the private investigator, Eric Eccles, actually got an appointment to see the medical examiner. And he spent three hours in this appointment with her, presenting her with all of the facts and all of the evidence. Because the only thing she had was what was given to her by the coroner when he sent these to the GBI which was that they had a witness that seen DJ shoot himself and that the gun was removed out of his hand, which we know is not true. But he went over all of this information with her. They had no... The detectives and the coroner and the medical examiner had no communication with one another throughout this entire investigation. The medical examiner never spoke to the detectives or coroner whatsoever. So when... Eric Eccles presented her with all the information, all the facts. She was going to review the case and order a toxicology report on DJ. Well, she's supposed to, re- she to reviewed it with the chief medical examiner. We we knew DJ had drugs in his system, so I mean, I can I guess that would be a typical thing to order a toxicology, but we didn't need it for anything because we knew DJ had drugs in his system. So after Eric Eccles spent, you know, spent all this time with her, went over all the evidence, presented her with all the facts, all the witness statements, even the recording of the detective stating that he believed this was a homicide and that he changed the investigation from a suicide to a possible homicide investigation. She calls him back, Eric Eccles back, a couple months later when the toxicology comes back in and states that. The toxicology report showed that DJ had meth in his system, and that since meth is a stimulant and makes you alert, that she was not going to change the ruling from suicide because there was no reason DJ couldn't have defended himself.
0: Oh my gosh! I read that. That's like I read that in the
2: report, and it made me scream. Like it made me audibly just gasp because that. I just feel like that's the worst medical exam. It's irrelevant. Orders, it's irrelevant. Heard. It is irrelevant.
0: <laughs> you're absolutely yeah, right. Like, it's irrelevant. To,
2: that, so is that to say that no um, person that has done drugs or has drugs in their system can be murdered? Is that what that means? Because they could have put up their hands. I mean, a gun is a gun is a gun. I don't understand.
1: Um, um, exactly. I be. mean, if somebody walks up to you and puts a gun in your face and pulls the trigger, how much, I don't care if you're you Superman, you're not going to be able to defend yourself.
2: Exactly, and I did read in her report, and I listened to when uh, you know your private detective, a private investigator, Mr. Eccles, was interviewing the medical examiner. I w- I saw that she kept mentioning as well that it was an intraoral like wound, and that also yes. proved the point somehow that 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 it was done by himself um, and not somebody else. And I just like I said, I just don't understand how that can be the only reasonable
1: conclusion when you know anyone is
2: stick a barrel of a gun in anyone else's mouth and pull the trigger
1: yes she is trying to state that the gun was actually inside dj's mouth and his mouth was open and that that's not typically done unless it is a suicide but dj the gun was not in dj's mouth Mm -hmm. it was not in dj's mouth DJ was shot in the left side of his cheek, right at the corner of his lip, and it it went left to right, front to back, and at a downward angle. And remember, DJ is sitting in a love seat. The witnesses state that Mike walked out of the bedroom behind DJ's left shoulder and pointed the gun at DJ and shot him. That would explain the downward angle. Yep. Yep. DJ looked up and there's your angle because the exit wound, three of the pellets from the buckshot came out at right under the right ear, behind the right, right under the right ear, back behind the right ear. So, I mean, that would explain that. I mean, I just, I don't understand this, how this medical examiner can be a medical examiner.
0: Well, there's two key pieces of information that are not correct by any means, and it could be influencing her decision or her conclusion, I should say. But number one, like you said earlier, the gun was not pulled from DJ's hands on the scene. Number one, we know that. And number two, the gun was not in DJ's mouth. Um, those are two very key pieces of information, in my opinion, that she's, just, she's got in her file and it's just downright inaccurate.
2: It feels like they didn't even review the body. It feels like they didn't even look at the case. All they did was listen to to hearsay and go off of that. It doesn't even feel like they reviewed it because I feel like, you know, if we can point out the inconsistencies between what she's reporting and what, you know, what the body showed and, and what actually happened, I don't understand how any professional who's done this as a career could possibly come up with a different scenario if if we can objectively with no training look at this and say oh that's not possible that's not how the shot entered the body that doesn't make any sense at all i have no
1: idea how she could have reported something like that i believe it's because she didn't have all the facts because she didn't have all you know the information she just went by what the coroner sent her with you know with dj's body and dj's Autop- it was a, it's called a limited autopsy which I, from what I've heard is just basically they focus on one bo- part of the body which I guess would have been DJ's head. Um there was I would say this autopsy was the shoddy autopsy as well there was only a, maybe 10 photos taken during the autopsy and only maybe 2 have DJ's actually had CJ in the bo- in the pictures the rest of them are just of the pellets the you know tissue samples blood samples I mean it's just
3: it, the,
1: yeah. the autopsy was started and finished and wrapped up within an hour and wow. it was written the day of the autopsy which was done on the 5th of October that it was a suicide
2: my goodness And and I also saw on your timeline that you sent over to us to kind of review the case. I saw that they told you that they wouldn't cremate his body until the investigation was complete. And then you had found out after he was cremated that the investigation obviously clearly wasn't complete. Do you know how that was able to happen?
1: Well, we wasn't actually told that he wouldn't be cremated until after the investigation was over. We were told he was he wouldn't be cremated until they had everything from the body. And that, I mean, that's what was done. They, they released him for cremation and they didn't have everything they needed. Because had we known they didn't do certain things, we would not have let them cremate him. I mean, that's, of, of course, you know, we wouldn't have let him be cremated. But with an open investigation, they can't or they won't tell you anything. They they won't tell you what's been done. They won't tell you what you know what they haven't done. They're not going to tell you anything. They they would not tell us anything. And when we would ask certain questions, of course we were lied to throughout the entire investigation. We were told that the gun had been fingerprinted, and that it didn't have any fingerprints on the gun whatsoever. It's never been fingerprinted. It's still sitting in the evidence room. It's never been fingerprinted. We were told that if the GBI was the one that was to perform the Polygraph examination that it would hold up in court. That was complete BS. That's not the case. I mean, we were lied to so much. We begged them to get GBI in on the case to investigate it, and we were told that they didn't need the GBI on the case because they had the same technology that the GBI had. I mean, so they just they they lied to us, and we didn't know all of it until after it was too late.
0: Amanda, you. Uh- That's such a- Shame. It is a shame and it doesn't, it just does it doesn't seem fair. What do you believe the motive was for DJ's murder? Since you obviously strongly believe it was murder and not suicide. What do you think the true motive was?
1: I believe the motive was jealousy and to get DJ out of the picture. So Mike could have a relationship with Brandy and DJ not be involved and interfere with it.
0: And it's just as simple as that. And, 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 I think I would agree with you too, just, just with everything that I've read. Um, it sounds like Mike even made comments that um, Brandy would get a check or quote, you know, you, you'll get a check if DJ's gone.
1: Yes, it's a couple of weeks before it happened. Mike had mentioned, him, said, I don't know the exact conversation. Um, Brandy had actually told us this and she had told the investigators this as well, that he had, Mike had actually made the remark that, you know, if something was to happen to DJ, that you could draw a check off of him and I would help help you raise the chi- the children.
0: Hmm.
1: And then there was the incident a couple of days before the shooting where Mike jumped DJ with a golf club when DJ came out the door and they got into an altercation. And again, I don't know who got the best of who, of course, like I said, I didn't know about this until after DJ was killed. But from what I've read in the interviews. DJ actually knocked Mike's tooth out and Mike went into the house to clean himself up cause he was bloody from that and made the comment to one of the people at the home that he was going to kill DJ. And this was just two days, two, three days before the shooting, a
3: mm-hmm. week
1: before the shooting, DJ got out of the shower. He was still unclothed and Mike put a knife to his throat. So, I mean, there was signs there that something was going to happen but apparently, for some
0: reason, DJ didn't tell us about him. Right. So where does DJ's case stand today? And what is standing in your way at this point to get justice?
1: DJ's case is closed as a suicide. And the only thing standing in our way is the fact that it's listed as a suicide. Nobody will do anything.
0: So until you can get that changed, that that's a non-starter at this point. That That's what's holding things up is because it's been officially ruled a suicide.
1: Yes. Until that's changed, nothing's going to be done. We were told that if any new evidence came in, that they would reopen the case. And, of course, if the cause of death was changed, that would be new evidence. That would be a reason to reopen the case.
0: So... What efforts are you making now to get that changed?
1: I'm doing everything I can to get that done.
0: Good. And I'm glad to hear that. And I'll be anxious to see how that all plays out. And my hope obviously is that it plays out in yours and your family's favor and in DJ's favor. He deserves justice and his children. And it just doesn't seem right what's going on. And and like I said before, um, wholeheartedly, I believe, and I believe Lisa does too, that um, Justice has not been served, and it just—it's not even that it's not a clear-cut case. It just—it seems so very clear-cut to me that this was not a suicide. Um, so yep. I can just imagine your anger and your frustration to be caught up in this broken system um, and be fighting every day. But you are, like I said, you know, in messages with you, you're so tenacious, and I think that you would be making your brother very proud uh, if he he could see your efforts.
1: Yes, I'm very, very persistent. That's one thing I can say. I will not give up on this. I shouldn't be having to do it, but I, I'll never give up on it.
0: And 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 you shouldn't, and I can see that you won't. I think that you're a woman of your word, and, and you're going to see to it that justice is served no matter how long it takes.
1: And I guess it would be a message to people that don't think that nothing like this could ever happen to you because I've been a good person my whole life. I've never broken the law. I've never been in trouble with the law. I've never been on drugs. I don't even drink. And I'm going through this. His babies are going through this. They're going to have to live the rest of their life without their father. I mean, nobody deserves this. So it, it's not that we, you know, we, we deserve it. Nobody deserves it. But it's not, like they're, um, it's not like I'm on the other side of the fence, you know, that I'm a criminal, that I'm a bad person or anything like that and that, that's why this is happening because that's not the case DJ had a drug problem he was trying to get help with it he had he had went to rehab but even if DJ was a drug addict and didn't try to come off the drugs didn't want to come off the drugs DJ didn't deserve this and nobody should get away with killing someone else for no reason
0: you're absolutely right. And actually, I I can't help but think that DJ's, number one, his socioeconomic status, and number two, the fact that he was a drug user, I can't help but think that that might play a role uh, in his case, not getting as much attention um, as it should. I think that's a and
1: big, big part. I believe that is a big part in it.
0: It's so, it's wrong, obviously, um, but it's just, it's, it's tragic because... At the end of the day, he's a human being, and he was a father, yes, he was a brother, he was a son, and, and he deserves better than that.
1: And the thing about it is, is if he's capable of killing one person, he's capable of killing anyone.
0: I think that's the biggest, most important point of all, is that if we're wanting to protect people, you see what this person yes. is is capable of. Why are we not and looking into this further to protect other people as well?
1: It's very sad because this community that this happened in, there are some people that really, really care and are concerned and they support me and they're helping me fight for justice. But the majority of the community, are, they're just turning their head to the fact that there is a killer out there and they're not taking it into consideration that this could be one of them or one of their family members that he, you know, kills next. I mean, any of, any of these people could be victims to him. Right, and that's, I was, that's what I don't understand. Why don't you people want this man off the street? Uh-huh.
2: I was curious, Amanda, because there there hasn't been charges filed against Mike. Do, are you intimidated you, you that you know? I mean, any any person if if there's these allegations, because I guess that's what these are, as of right now, um, legally speaking, at least. I know what we all think, but uh, or no, but um, are you are you scared that there could be some retaliation against you since you are very vocal about getting this out there and you you do live in the town that this happened in and you do know
1: people personally connected with the people involved. Are, are you nervous? Actually, you I actually see? don't. I actually don't live in the town that this happened in. Okay. I live right over the state line in Alabama. So okay. I stay out of the county that this happened in. I just, I see what, I see what the law enforcement is capable of and what they are capable of not doing. So, Mm -hmm. I don't trust going to this county. As far as Mike, I'm not intimidated of him or I'm not fearful of him because as I stated, you know, I am, a law-abiding citizen, I have a carry permit. I do not fear for myself. I fear for my child because I am his number one enemy right now. I'm the one that won't let this go. I won't drop this. I'll, I just keep pushing for something to be done. If he could shut me up, then it would all go away. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I worry about my kids because, of course, she can't be with me 24-7. Um, my family worries about me mm-hmm. because of the same same reasons. Like I said, I don't worry about myself because I can protect myself. If you know, if, if as long as he don't walk up from behind me, I can protect myself. But mm-hmm. my family does worry about me. Yes. And, and through the efforts here,
2: have you have you seen any type of intimidation? Has there been any action towards you where you, where I mean, you haven't been fearful as of yet, but has there been any kind of attempt to to get this to go away?
1: Not that I'm aware of, I have mm-hmm. on social media, I have blocked every single person involved That's and smart. <laughs> even their extended family, even their extended family. So I don't know if anything's being said or anything like that. As far as anything being done physically, I've nothing's, ha- no, they don't, they don't know where I live or anything like that.
0: Yeah, cause you, and I can understand your family having concerns. You I mean, they want to protect you. But I, I, I feel like this is something, Amanda, that you're going to do no matter w- what because you just feel it in your heart and in your gut that this is what you need to be doing um, and you're going to fight it to the end. You, you seem like that kind of person.
1: I will, and I am. And it's because I know not only is it because it's the right thing to do, and I'm trying to think of other people and their safety and their future's but I'm also thinking to myself, D.J. would have done it for me.
0: Right, right. Um, Amanda, so obviously you've um, you've been very active on social media. I see you every single day posting something new to keep this case out there. Um, I see that there was a petition, which I signed recently, that you've got out there. Um, how can people find you on social media? How can they sign the petition? How can they help uh, with your cause?
1: Well, the petition is on both Facebook and on Twitter. They can find me on Twitter at justice for dj 88 and the petition will actually be my pin post on that page. And they can also find me on justice for dj on Facebook, and the petition will be set as an announcement on that page. On the petition, there is actually a link connected to the petition to help with funding for the forensic testing and the experts and everything, because this is just, no one ever expects this financially, and until you're in this situation, you would never expect to know how much it costs, and we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars, and I don't have that kind of money. So if anybody would like to donate on the petition, on the forensic, the forensic testing and experts and everything, it would be greatly appreciated. Well, we absolutely will do all
2: we can to help in this cause. I know Jamie and I absolutely are outraged by the way this has been handled and and we're saddened. And, you know, we are very hopeful, though, for your family that we can get this turned around, um, you know, with, with the right Exposure with the right people on board, we can definitely make sure this is heard by the right people. We can get justice for DJ and make sure you know everyone is safe as well.
0: I think it's important that people understand you know where they can go to help and how they can help. I'm sure that the funding of it is very important because it, it's got to be costing you quite a bit of money. Um, but but I just want to echo the same sentiments as Lisa. We we really appreciate you getting on the phone with us and providing all the documentation in this case, and we just hope that. Just by listening to this podcast and this interview, that um, more people are going to be aware of DJ's case and sign the petition, help fund it, um, and just do whatever it takes to take this to the finish line and get justice.
1: I appreciate it so
0: much. Thank you, Amanda, and you. You have yourself a good evening, and uh, we will be in touch very soon. I hope you all enjoyed hearing from Amanda. She's been fighting so hard for her brother, and she has a lot more work ahead of her. I hope you'll consider signing the petition Amanda created. You can find a link to the petition by following Amanda on Twitter at justice dj 88 and on Facebook by searching Justice4DJ. In order to get justice for her brother, Amanda needs to get this case as much attention as possible, and that's my goal in telling DJ's story on Murderish. Other podcasts have also covered DJ's case. If you want to hear more, you can also check out Status Pending Podcast. They cover DJ's story in their first three episodes. I want to again thank my friend Lisa for partnering with me to tell DJ's story. Lisa hosts Eye for an Eye podcast. Check out her show in Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Ishers, I want to thank you all for joining me on another episode of Murderish. I hope to see you all again very soon. Until then, take care, and remember, listening to this podcast doesn't make you a murderer. It just means you're murder-ish. Please take a minute to follow Murderish on social media. Search Murderish on Facebook to join a fun group of like-minded people who discuss all things murderish. Also, follow Murderish on Instagram at Murderish Podcast and on Twitter at Murderish Pod. Do me the biggest favor and hit the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. Tell a friend about Murderish and leave the show a positive rating and review in iTunes. If you'd like to take your support for the podcast a step further, head over to patreon.com slash murderish to see some cool perks that are available in exchange for your monthly support. If you become a show patron, you'll have immediate access to exclusive bonus content, which includes some fun conversations with other true crime podcast hosts and a follow-up to my most downloaded episode to date, Stranger in My Bedroom. You'll also have the opportunity to get some murderish swag as part of your Patreon reward package. If you'd like to sport a murderish t-shirt or sip coffee from a murderish mug, go to the Murderish Facebook group and click on the About button. Once you're there, you'll find links to both Murderish merch stores. You can also find links to the merch stores in episode show notes. This show is mixed and mastered by John Buchanis of Audio Editing Solutions. Music for the show was composed by Nico of We Talk of Dreams. Stick around for a couple more minutes to hear podcast promos from my friends at Trace Evidence and Caskets and Cocktails. I hope you'll find something new to binge on.
3: Hey podcast listener, this is Steven, the host of Trace Evidence, a weekly true crime podcast focused on unsolved murders and missing persons. Each week, I dig deep into the evidence, suspects, and theories revolving around the unsolved cases you think you know. Elisa Lamb, Asia Degree, Brandon Lawson, and the ones you've never heard. Lily Aramburo, Candace Hilt, Kanika Powell. If you're a true crime fan, haunted by unanswered questions, join me each Monday for a thorough examination of the victims, their stories, and the unknown perpetrators behind them. Trace Evidence is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and all your favorite podcatchers. Visit trace-evidence.com for a full list of episodes, transcripts, and to subscribe today.
2: Katie Leverett.
1: I'm Danny Faulkner. I'm her daddy.
2: And welcome to Caskets
1: and Cocktails. I've been in the cemetery business for over 35 years. That's right. And this podcast is all about Mr. Danny's hilarious and crazy stories that happened to him. Everything that happens, happens in a cemetery. So, guys, go ahead and hit subscribe because we'll be the last
3: ones to let you down. (laughs)